0: Hello everyone, this is Chris Miller, your co-host of your absolute favorite podcast of all time, Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades. Uh, Today we just want to ask you, if you're enjoying it, to subscribe to our Patreon. For as little as $1 a month, you can get exclusive content, and you can help out Rob and Chris do all the things you love so well. Remember to hold fast, and enjoy the show.
1: The Kansas City Chiefs. It's uh, good to
0: see nice things happen to nice people like Tyreek Hill. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean it's it's good to see that you can win the Super Bowl because the other team is afraid of everyone on your roster except Paul Mahomes. It's
0: a <laughs> buddy place for the Chiefs. Stefan Wisniewski we grew up together. Moms worked together. Steph Steph won a Super Bowl for the Eagles. Ended yeah. up getting cut and then he got signed with a fucking Chiefs. <laughs> Yeah, not bad.
1: And uh, of course, yesterday we spent most of the day celebrating Chris's thirty-third birthday.
0: Yeah, I started about eleven a.m. and I finished up around
1: three. <sighs> yeah, you know, I mean, we—I had a pretty long day with you, but you had a much longer day. Oh yeah. We uh, we played laser tag and nobody hurt themselves that badly. Uh, who who won laser tag? Mm-hmm. I mean, who, who won laser tag?
2: Was it? It was. Um, I we think we in laser
0: won. tag we all win.
2: We all
1: won laser tag, Kyle, because we were all adults playing laser tag and there were no children in that. Yeah, but I actually won. Just to, yeah. Just so the big audience big. knows
0: that I actually won. Come on, come on, man! It's my birthday.
2: Yeah. Chris won yeah. The spirit.
0: I, I did win that big blue ball with a llama this on it. This is did Win the big blue ball. I'm pretty excited about the ball with a llama on it for some reason. And this is
3: officially the first time that a stormtrooper actually shot a laser and killed someone. <laughs>
1: That's true. That's true, dude. I'll, you are breaking barriers. I'll you're at that stand. Yeah. That is. You're breaking. New you're like the. Here,
3: homie. You're like the Jackie Robinson of. Stormtroopers. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's a
2: sentence is going to get pulled out and
1: used in a terrible, terrible way. Chris, make sure you isolate that audio, please. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Consider it done. That is the one minute forty-three mark.
1: Yes, you are. Uh, so you are joining uh, three podcasters and the Jackie Robinson of stormtroopers
3: <laughs> 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 on Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades. I'm Rob North.
0: I am your hungover co-host, Chris Miller.
3: I am Michael Irnet, your resident sailor. I am Kyle Graper. We're going to Jackie Robinson of
0: Stormtroopers. God, he's so brave.
1: <laughs> you... <laughs> oh, I remember when you showed up for the first time, but nobody booed because they couldn't see any of your features. <laughs> it should have been way easier for Jackie. Yeah.
0: If he, did, if he just popped that helmet on, nobody would have known. And they would have loved him even more because he was white. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. and it's because the stormtroopers are white. It's a Star Wars yeah, thing. I don't know yeah, if you guys yeah. if you guys watch Star Wars or not.
1: <laughs> oh man! So, what are you talking about today? Yeah, today uh, we're discussing a fellow named Woods Rogers. So Woods Rogers was a famed English sea captain, privateer, pirate hunter, and later governor of the Bahamas, who is uh, famed for both his autobiographical accounts of his adventures his rescue of the man who would become the inspiration for the character of Robinson Crusoe, and his interactions with some of the most famous figures in the golden age of piracy. Uh, Before we begin today, let's acknowledge our sources. The first, I did mention that autobiographical account of his adventures. It is A Cruising Voyage Round the World by Captain Woods Rogers.
0: I expected so much more from that book.
1: I, I think the one word that sums up this book is...
0: It's so fucking dry It's a
1: dense read It's supposed to be a uh,
2: It's a travel brochure To try to get them to Colonize more places basically Yeah but yeah. it's like
0: Even then it's just painful
3: You would think Even
0: the Selkirk it, parts like, kind of glossed over Yeah it's, it's one entry Like yeah we found this dude He was just living on an island Training cats to be his own personal army Yeah And I just took him home
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: that, We're gonna like get to that. to
2: do In your house Kyle? I mean, if the one stops shitting on the floor, yeah. Once once we get there, then maybe I can train him to kill on to make
1: command. Funnily enough, this is the same thing I say about the three of you when I talk about you guys to other people. Yes. I have Crohn's disease, I can't help it. It's yeah, I was going to
0: say, it's not Kyle's fault he shits right, on the floor.
1: Kyle, that's a big <laughs> assumption that you're not, not that you're the one I'm referencing about shitting <laughs> on the floor.
3: I just drink a lot of rye whiskey. Okay. And,
1: well, I'm not what happens cor- happens. And I'm not saying correlation equals causality here, but... <laughs> Uh, our second source is Pirate Hunter of the Caribbean by David Cordingly, who if you know very little about pirates in general and you're looking for a book that does a great job of encompassing that whole world, he also wrote a great tone called Under the Black Flag, which along with Colin Woodard's Republic of Pirates is one of the best looks uh, modern looks into piracy in the age of sail. And finally, our third source, That Old Standby, A General History of the Robberies and Murders of the Most Notorious Pirates by None Other, than Captain Charles Johnson, who may be the same man as somebody else we'll be referring to later in the episode.
3: Funny you say that, because I was going to go there. Yes. So,
0: yeah, I mean, even in in part two, we're going to talk a little bit more about him and how mm -hmm. important that book was.
1: Yeah. So, gentlemen, Mm -hmm. any any points of order before we get into...
0: Yeah, I got one. Uh, I've... I was looking for my book The Pirate Hunter and it turns out it's not the same one. Mm. <laughs> there's there's a bunch of books called The Pirate Hunter and the one about Captain Kidd's pretty good. Yes. Cuz <laughs> cuz that's the one I own already.
3: It yeah. wasn't the one a hey, it wasn't written by the same guy as uh, Abe Lincoln and Vampires, right?
0: No. No. Okay. No, it was it was Androids.
3: Uh, sense,
1: okay. Sensibility and Sea Monsters. Yeah. I own <laughs> what were they? I they own one, that and The Bronte and, Sisters. Which and, one do uh, I have? The,
0: cthulhu
3: uh,
1: lore?
0: uh andrew er, android Karenina is the other one that i have oh yeah that one's split. yeah i have that one too so my, my sister picks up. legend
3: of Lognes.
1: <laughs> uh somewhere here a bunch of japanese businessmen perking up <laughs> yes that is a tentacle porn joke well, uh, yeah, we make a lot of tentacle yes. porn jokes yeah we do I mean, it's a tendency all right, so gentlemen, shall we release the Kraken and start with this story? <laughs> oh,
2: right back so in the So I once board. went to, so, Row House, uh, this great single-screen theater in Pittsburgh that opened a few years ago. During the Japanese uh, Film Festival a few years back, they did a, uh, they showed at midnight one night, the very first tentacle porn, mm. which I sat through, cackling with two 16-ounce beers in hand.
1: Wonderful experience.
0: It sounds absolutely riveting, Kyle. Thank you for sharing that.
1: you Kyle Graper, everybody. The Jackie Robinson of Stormtroopers.
3: Now back to the basement.
1: <laughs> so
3: Woods That's why we
0: keep him locked in the basement. It's not for his protection. It's for yours. Yes.
3: <laughs> so
1: Woods Rogers was born in 1679, the exact date unknown, in the small but prosperous port of Poole, located in Dorset on the south coast of England. He was the eldest son and heir of Woods Rogers, Not Woods Rogers Sr., because Dad spelled his name without the E. This is important. And his wife, Frances, the oldest of three children in total. So Poole was a prosperous seafaring town, and the Rogers were a prosperous seafaring (laughs) family. Woods the Elder had ownership shares in dozens of ships, some of the merchant vessels plying a rich trade with Spain and North America, but primarily in fishing ships that would take their catch from the enormous cod shoals off of Newfoundland. Uh, Some of these shoals could be dozens of miles wide, and witnesses said it seemed as though the water was so full of fish that you could walk across the surface and never get your ankles wet. Now, the darker side of the family's fortune was that in addition to the merchant and fishing ships, Wood Sr. may have also played a role in the booming slave trade along the African coast, or at the very least for assisting the slave trade, as famed explorer and privateer William Dampier, who will come into this story later, mentions in his memoirs that he was indebted to a Captain Rogers of Poole for his journal describing the African coast from the Cape of Good Hope up to the Red Sea. Either way, we know that the elder Woods spent periods of many months in a row out on the water. So after Woods the Younger's birth, his sister Mary came along a year later, and a younger brother named John joined the brood when Woods was nine. Now, nothing substantial is really known about the childhood and teen years of Woods Rogers, although we can assume that due to his family's wealth and standing, he likely received a good education. Now sometime between 1690 and 1696, the elder Woods moved his family to the larger port of Bristol to help diversify his holdings. Now the next thing we know for certain is that in 1697, at the age of 18, the younger Woods was apprenticed to a uh, Bristol mariner named John Yamens. Now what's unusual about this is that apprenticeships for boys across all trades usually started between the ages of 11 and 14. So why was Woods so much older than normal? I think I have a few theories about this. Number one, Woods did this without the assistance of his family, having spent his teen years preparing to make a living on land, as his family may have preferred him to do so, getting into the family business, taking a junior position, basically training for an office job, which would not have been an apprenticeship position. It would have been a continuing education thing. And the
0: world so, would have been a, a vastly different place. Had this not
3: very much Yeah, so.
0: this not banned out.
3: And he kinda of said, uh, fuck yeah. that.
0: Yeah, he, um... I mean, if your choices are, yeah. are work in an office or become an actual adventurer, like, that was his title.
1: So, basically... He's made... an
0: adventure. We're yeah. only a couple generations removed from adventure being, a, like, an actual job and it pisses me off that, that we didn't get the I'm opportunity. Just
1: on Instagram. All those... Yeah, now or... they just... They
0: douched it up. Yeah. They douched mm-hmm. it up. These are the same people that say, like, adulting.
1: It's the same concept in a different medium. So...
0: Adulting is, like, the... Yeah. The annoying Instagram... Kid version of like saying man cave.
3: It's, a saying, way- it's like, like
0: like boomers love talking about man caves. Also, if you call your basement your man cave, your wife's fucking someone else. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying.
3: <Yeah. laughs> I I send you to Funny or Die. You're a basic bro. Oh, basic the basic bro. bros. Because fantastic. you are basic as. <sighs> <laughs> 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 Funny
2: or Die still a thing? Is that site even still? Uh, oh, they yeah.
0: they're dwindling. They're college humor in their yeah. way out.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're going to be pretty soon on the casualty list of uh, Facebook killing any and all comedy.
0: Yep. Well, that's yeah. what happens whenever they said that it was like a thousand views per view. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it was only ninety people. <laughs> like, oh,
1: yeah. So kind of it's all. So it is possible that Woods, in an act of youthful rebellion or having having a change of heart, talked his way into an apprenticeship at the age of eighteen. Now, the second theory is that the Rogers family was struggling to find a place in Bristol Maritime Society, and this was a move that would help ensconce the family business within Bristol's economy. And so Woods' family, prim- primarily his dad, managed to talk some this John Yeamans guy into taking on Woods as an apprentice, even though Woods was older than normal. Or three, maybe there's something we just don't know about this particular type of apprenticeship. I mean, perhaps the apprenticeship for learning to be a ship's master was traditionally undertaken by older teens rather than somebody who was who was young. Um, I, I, I did try to do some digging for information on this, but I couldn't find anything concrete.
3: I mean, well, typically, especially in the maritime trades, mm-hmm. a lot of times it's a matter of placing and timing. Yes. So uh, a lot of times we talk about... Uh, well, when you have these young jobs, if if you're 25 and you're still working at McDonald's, you're ancient. But there might be a reason you're working at McDonald's, mm-hmm. and it's—I know that's a—it's a weird yeah. analogy, but it's the same kind of thing. There's a million different variables yeah, that get worked
1: in due to circumstance.
3: Exactly. It, you know. It, yeah. Normally, you got a job of a 12-year-old, but you're 18. Yeah. It happens. So, although the voyages
1: he undertook during this period aren't recorded. We can surmise based on the usual destinations for Bristol ships of the period that Rogers, the elder, likely made multiple trips to Ireland, the Caribbean, and North America, and so did Rogers, the younger, as an apprentice. Now, we know he went to Canada because he does reference this in his later memoirs, and by November of 1704, at the age of 25, Rogers completed his apprenticeship and was ready to become a ship's captain. Now, during this time, while the young Woods was off apprenticing, Old Woods and the rest of his family were doing quite well for themselves. They built a large mansion on the new Queen Anne Square, the fashionable place for the great and good of Bristol to live. And the place was so big, it had two addresses, both at both 31 and 32 St. Anne Square.
0: Kansas City, Missouri and Kansas City, City, Kansas. Kansas.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, two doors down lived a fellow named Rear Admiral William Weston. Who had become best buds with Woods the Elder, and it was in January 1705 that the younger Woods Rogers married Sarah, the pretty daughter of Admiral Weston, which first of all provided him with a substantial dowry to help kickstart his own fortune, and second of all made him a Freeman of Bristol through his marriage into the Weston family, granting him practically an open license to do business in the port. The young couple also wasted no time in getting a family started, having a son, William, and two daughters, Mary and Sarah, between the beginning of 1706. October of 1708. All was not happy days, however, because since 1702, England had been at war with France and Spain in what became known as the War of Spanish Succession. This war, which would spawn the seagoing careers of a who's who of the most famous pirates, was essentially fought over the fact that King Carlos II of Spain had died without an heir, had bequeathed the kingdom to fi- uh, Prince Philippe of France, and an alliance of Great Britain, the Dutch, the Austrians, and the Prussians declared war in order to stop this Franco-Spanish superpower from forming and tipping the balance of
3: power in Europe. And much like Carlos Estevez said, winning!
1: (laughs) (laughs) i was just thinking of Carlos Danger. Um, What was his name? Uh, Elliot Spencer. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, uh, with war came, of course, privateers, which was going to be big business in a busy port like uh, like Bristol. Now... If you don't know what privateers are... Chris, Mike, Kyle, you guys want to take this? A privateer
0: is a pirate that's contracted out. All a privateer is... It's it's a pirate to everyone else. Mm -hmm. But it's an armed vessel, an armed civilian vessel that shares... They share in the take with the government. So it's it's pay-to-play piracy. As long as... And you are... You're only allowed to to attack uh, any kind of shipping from a specific country. That's the biggest difference because like some, some privateers would kind of go off on their own and just go after any ship that was there and then those guys were usually hanged.
3: Well, the sovereign would grant uh, a, a, what what it was called was a mark of letter and repos- reprisal.
0: Which we can still do. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, still very... much been done away with. No, it's I'm still, very much, it's still fact, very much in play. In fact, the United States Congress has actually issued... Marks of letter and reprisal. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
2: So we were just crying about not being adventurers.
3: Mm-hmm. Just saying, I used to sail. Oh. I got a book coming out. <laughs> so, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Anyway, the uh, it, um, the the big issue was you don't attack the homeland. Yes. And basically, you're allowed to fight anybody that is on the other side, and the um, um, the big problem, particularly in, in the Caribbean, was that you would go out to sea for six months, and there would be treaties made in Europe that you didn't know anything about. Mm-hmm. So you'd pull into a port of call, and, <laughs> oh, hey, we're fighting the Dutch. Let's go out, and we're going to... Sink Dutch ships. We come back. Now we're friends with the Dutch. And you just sunk a bunch of Dutch ships. Not good. Yeah, not real good. You're about to have a very interesting day. So,
1: yeah. So, privateers essentially function almost like a naval militia of sorts. And that are meant to weaken the enemy by attacking primarily their merchant shipping. Although there are plenty of instances of privateer vessels taking on naval vessels. Not, more, not ships of the line or anything like that, which we're going to get to here in a moment, but smaller <coughs> control style vessels, you know, cutters, stores, things like that could be taken by privateers. Now, alongside the potential for financial gain through privateering, however, also came the risk of losses to valuable shipping. Now, the Rogers family owned at least four vessels that were fitted out for privateering, but at far greater risk were the dozens of merchant and fishing vessels that were plying the waters between Europe, the Americas, and Africa, all of which were terribly vulnerable to the French and Spanish Royal Navies, and the thousands of privateering vessels that the French and their allies outfitted. Now, although the Grand Alliance, including England, managed to gain the upper hand in the war, which lasted until 1714, one area where the Franco-Spanish Alliance managed to keep top position was in the privateering theater, particularly the French. Now, while the English system of privateering had stayed a matter of individual enterprise since the days of John Hawkins and Francis Drake, French privateering, known as Guerre de course, was the primary focus of French naval operations. <laughs> Deciding after 1705 to largely abandon the use of a regular navy after several defeats at the hands of the British fleet, the French crown paid to outfit privateers on an industrial scale and instead of lone wolf vessels plying the seas in hopes of stumbling upon vulnerable prizes. The French would often operate their privateers in large squadrons, often accompanied by warships, chartered out to private operators, operating in a way that was very, very similar to the U-Boat Wolf Packs of World War II.
3: Damn, you guys got any French connections? God. Your last name is <laughs> <Alnette>. <laughs> Right. Yeah, but I'm German. <laughs> That's fair. I'll say Lorraine. Mm. Come mm. on, man. <laughs> so a little
1: back and forth. Well, a yeah. little well, yeah. international ping well, yeah. pong there. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: So... Many of these privateer commanders became household names. Uh, we did examine a guy who, in a previous war, Jean Bart ha, 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 <laughs> played a very similar role, but in the War of Spanish Succession, uh, we have guys like Claude de the Comte du Gardin, who, with a small squadron of privateer vessels, captured two English 70 gun ships of the line, along with the entire 22 vessel convoy that they were protecting. We also have René Duguay-Turin, who was made a nobleman in 1709 by King Louis XIV because in five years he had captured 16 English and Dutch warships and over 300 merchant vessels. Now, to give you a picture of how successful the French were, during the War of Spanish Succession, which has a reputation in Britain for being the Great War of the Privateers because of the very famous figures that it tended to generate, English privateers and the English Navy combined to capture 2,000 239 prizes in the 11 years the war went on, according to the Lloyds Register for those years. In that same period, French privateers alone, disregarding all their other allies in the War of Spanish Succession, captured just a hair shy of 7,000 prizes. One English newspaper article in 1707 complained that English vessels were being taken, quote, like shoals of herring. Now, we know for sure that the Rogers family began taking hit after hit due to the war and French privateering. Now, first off, in 1706, Woods Rogers, the elder, died at sea of an unspecified illness, passing along ownership of all the family's holdings to his son and namesake. Secondly, several of the merchant ships were taken by the French, and both the cost of the vessels themselves and their valuable cargoes bit deep into the success of the family business. And thirdly, we know that the Rogers family got into the privateering game themselves and paid to outfit at least four vessels, as we mentioned before. The first and most expensive, named the Whetstone Galley, after Woods' father-in-law, received its letter of mark and began a voyage to Africa to raid French slave trading routes and was captured by the French without a fight after two days at sea. At least one of the other privateering vessels was also captured and another never returned, possibly sunk, possibly lost at sea, possibly captured by the enemy without word getting back to the insurers and the backers that it actually happened. Now, facing mounting financial hits, Woods was at a loss as to what to do. The man who came to him with an answer was William Dampier, his father's friend and the famed explorer and buccaneer who we will definitely be doing a series about in the future. He had just gotten back from his own expedition into the Pacific, meant to raid Spanish shipping and help explore and establish new territory on behalf of the English crown taking two ships and 180 men with him, but the whole thing fell apart after a series of mutinies and the hulls of the two ships falling apart due to the predation of the Pterodos worm, which loves to burrow into wooden ships' bottoms, causing both vessels to eventually sink. Kyle, why are you jumping around? Because
2: it's hilarious. Because he was warned about this, mm-hmm. and his ships were taken out by worms because he just said, Nah, fuck it. So that's that's, that's yeah. more
0: common in <laughs> a lot of these stories one the, uh we'll be led to believe.
1: Well, that's the thing. When you get yeah. into tropical waters, the, this pterodose worm loves to burrow into the wood of a ship's hull. And it starts creating a honeycomb, which weakens the structure of it. But you can it, treat for it. Like, there were like
3: treatments they had mm-hmm. for the wood back then. Mm-hmm. He just said, yeah, we're good. Well, he well, did it at the same cost. There, well, I, I mean, when you go back into when when you study these things, well, one mm-hmm. of the things that I love is that they love careening vessels. Yes. Because the pterodos worm, the barnacles, it they, shit grows on the bottom of yep. all <laughs> the keel. Yeah. Yeah. So shit shit grows on the bottom
0: of any boat. It doesn't yeah. matter what it's made out of. Yeah. It's just a lot harder for worms to eat the metal ones. Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. Be, because also the pterodos worm consumes wood. It loves consuming that kind of organic matter. Mm-hmm. And as it digests this, it spits out an enzyme that is corrosive to um, cellular material like you find in wooden ships' hulls. And then it really, really can decimate the structural integrity of, the, of, a, of a wooden yeah. hull ship. Um, it's actually part of the reason, uh, among a couple others, why most wooden ships started getting copper bottoms in the later part of the 18th century.
3: Mm-hmm. I'm in the so... I mean, it's... You, yeah. Go ahead, and Mike. That's the, the biology. under. And in, in the funny thing is, barnacles still deal with copper bottoms and iron bottom oh, yeah. buds. Yep. You still have to deal with it. Turns out the ocean, is, as you know, is a bit of a hostile place. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> so after losing both of his ships and many men to disease and desertion, Dampier finally went back to England with a couple dozen men and a small captured ship, and was desperate to revive his career. Now, he suggested to Rogers a very similar idea to the one he had just undertaken, with a couple tweaks so as to not (laughs) repeat the mistakes of his last expedition. The thrust of the idea was to take two ships, take steps before even leaving to help protect the hulls against shipworm this time, take uh, with them the means to fight these sorts of diseases that decimated Dampier's crew, Meaning uh, you take more medical supplies than normal, you take a heavier complement of surgeons, and you take large quantities of limes to fend off scurvy, which would become a standard practice later in the Royal Navy. But in 1708, it was not a common practice.
0: They said that uh, scurvy killed more sailors than shipwrecks, storms, and... Combat, yeah.
1: Yeah.
3: So, well, imagine your bones being that brittle because yeah. yeah. that's what uh, that's what scurvy does it just it, it destroys every it's why I take and my, my chewy
0: vitamins yeah, once a day
1: so and you take all these assets and you head for the Pacific where the weaker Spanish Navy will be less able to protect valuable trade and treasure galleons on the rich trade routes between South America, Africa and Spanish possessions like Malacca and the Philippines then they could take very rich prizes and help recoup the losses suffered on their trade routes in the Atlantic a second reason they may have picked this time to act is that in 1708, the English Parliament passed a measure removing much of the original required share of privateering prize money that would go to the government in order to encourage more privateers to take to sea. Right. Hey. Now, Rogers... Hey, that was a tax yeah, cut. Pretty much, <laughs> yeah. You
0: beat the shit out of the press gangs.
1: Yeah. And it worked. It worked. Between 1708 and 1709... There was an increase of, I think, 40% roughly of the outfitting of privateering vessels. About 40% more privateering vessels were outfitted in 1709 than in 1708. So it actually worked. It didn't really fix much of the balance because the French were so far ahead of the game. But, you know, they got them to do what they wanted it to do. So now Rogers, using his newly elevated standing among Bristol's great and good after his father's death, began courting investors for this scheme. Among those he managed to get money from were three mayors of Bristol, the town clerk, two sheriffs of Bristol, every single alderman, the master of the Society of Merchant Venturers, and the wealthy Quaker shipping magnate named Thomas Goldney, who, despite the Quakers' dogma of not taking part in conflict, had finally had enough of the French taking his vessels so easily, (laughs) and said, fuck it, take my money. Altogether, 13,188 pounds were raised, the equivalent of about $2 million in today's money. So two frigates were furnished for the expedition. The 350-ton, 30-gun Duke, with 183 men aboard, and the 300-ton, 26-gun Duchess, carrying 151 men. On the 1st of August, 1708, the two ships departed Bristol Harbor for their voyage with the 29-year-old Woods Rogers in command of the Duke and the entire expedition at large, joined by his 22-year-old brother John and none other than William Dampier aboard as his sailing master. Now, the expedition hit immediate trouble when they had to put into the Irish harbors of Waterford and Kinsale to collect more supplies that had been previously purchased, and 40 men deserted. Other men, a mixture of Irish, Danes, and Dutch, were recruited to pad their ranks, which took nearly a month. Soon after, a mutiny occurred within a few weeks once the ships put into the Atlantic... The Irish. Actually, more the Danes. (laughs) Well, no, it's actually more the Danes, and this is why, Mm -hmm. because... Captain Rogers wouldn't let them plunder a neutral Swedish vessel. Yep. Who? Okay. Who? Uh, the Danes have been. have had a little back and forth with for the last you know, six hundred years. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: I do like that in, in a lot of these stories. Whenever we talk about Irish sailors, they just sign up just so they can get back to Ireland, and then they run away. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh yeah, sure, I'll come sail with you. Yeah, it'd be great. And then they just immediately as, hop as off the boat, and run about away. About with the guy yeah.
1: with, with some of those guys that were serving with John Paul Jones yeah, for cool. the Ranger. Yeah, they is just probably what they happened. just wanted to ride home. Yeah. <laughs> it's but but fucking hilarious. You get to ride home, and you get paid a bounty for enlisting. Right. right. Yeah, so, you get paid in
0: a, you get paid up front. Yeah. It's a little bit a little bit up front, <laughs> to, but to it's enough. Yeah. Yeah, so you can just fuck off back to Ireland whenever John Paul Jones isn't looking.
1: So, uh, the mutiny was put down and the leader was flogged, clapped in irons, and sent back to England aboard another ship. While those who had been talked into joining were allowed to stay aboard, but were still handed lighter sentences, including flogging and reduced rations. Now, the expedition was going to try to force its way through the stormy, cold Drake Passage around the tip of South America, but they lacked cold-weather clothing and liquor which was believed medically to protect the body against cold so they doubled back to Tenerife in the Canary Islands to stock up on wine, brandy and blankets that they then cut and sewed into cold weather clothing.
3: And I defy you to tell me that it's not. Look at the dudes, look at the dudes at football games with body paint on. They, they
0: usually have a couple beers in each hand.
1: I Okay, I'm not arguing that you feel warmer. I'm saying medically
0: I mean, this is... Med- medical advances were... It was going to be another 240 years before like they started diagnosing things.
1: Christopher, I spent four years of my life in Syracuse, New York. I yeah. know about the old whiskey overcoat. I just... I'm saying that the medical belief was it actually warmed the body up.
0: Yeah, he still thought they had like ghosts and shit in their blood when they got sick. Yeah, that's fair. Leeches, <laughs> We do again now, but they just whack them with some essential oils and they're good.
1: <laughs> well... You were, excuse me while I go 10 coronavirus 10
0: to my crystals yeah
1: so they then attempted to, to take the passage again and both ships were battered by high winds and waves and were both blown off course to a point of 62 degrees south latitude which is almost far enough south to put them within sight of the as yet undiscovered continent of Antarctica were they blown off course or were they that drunk yes. Uh, well, it, they were they were definitely blown off course. There's a
0: lot of causality, though. Like, I mean, they did just they just fill the ship with brandy and wine. When,
1: when you are in those, <laughs> when you are in a, a sailing vessel and you're trying to go around Cape Horn, you are at the mercy of the weather, really. Oh, I, if I, you're in a
0: ship with cloth sails, you're at the mercy of the weather all the that, fucking time. That's fair. Yeah.
3: <laughs> there are literally over a thousand ships within a hundred miles of Cape Town. Cape Town, It's it, it, it's nobody yeah. really a lot of people don't realize the way the the way the currents and the way the winds blow yeah. in that in that corner it's, making that It
1: is treacherous. It, it's treacherous. And of course you have another 200 years before you get to Panama Canal so what are you mm-hmm. going to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah
0: you got to take a long way.
1: Yeah and the prevailing trade winds were are more likely to take you down around South America and it's and you do get to Spanish settlements a lot sooner than if you try to go around the other way around South Africa. So I mean I can see why it almost got them shipwrecked on an on a continent that nobody knew existed for sure. But so after forcing the passage 4 months into the voyage, Roger's ships entered the Pacific Ocean. They soon managed to run out of limes as they were being poorly rationed out because it turns out that the men liked the lime juice in their rum and brandy rations a little too much. I was just going to joke. And were make stealing lime limes. <laughs> and so men began to die of scurvy. <laughs> but at least I had that rum cocktail.
3: Mmm. Mojito. <laughs> rum,
0: rum and lime is pretty fucking good.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's, There's yeah. too many limes
3: no, it's, it, it, it's
0: probably why I have the scurvy.
3: <laughs> after, after that grog you made a couple of years ago, you better never have the scurvy again. Yeah, we've
0: got so much vitamin C. <laughs> it
3: was like, what was it, 65 baby limes that you...
0: I was so mad, but they were so good. The only no, limes I could good. find were key limes, so I hand-pressed like uh, probably 80 key limes.
1: Now, this was only one year after Chris very nearly killed a prominent local DJ.
0: I was going a lot of people that day. It was pretty bad. Yeah, so uh, I didn't tell anybody. It was like, yeah, I put rum in the grog, but it wasn't. It was just straight grain alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 like I, here, try this. There was like a little rum for the deal for color.
3: I have never admitted this, but there was about 10 minutes of that that moment right after the grog. i I wasn't I wasn't passed out, but I could not see. I literally oh yeah, I mean I it was, was eye
0: crossing. Yeah. It was it was. For, for legal I didn't reasons- think I was going to get into the game, <laughs> like propped up between two people, just like focused. <laughs> for
2: legal reasons,
1: I'm saying these are these are stories of fiction.
0: <laughs> hey, opening day's coming up, baby. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so the guys dying of scurvy is not the only problem. The biggest problem that they encounter in the Pacific is that at this point, when they crossed over the Pacific, was fucking empty. <laughs> They had anticipated rich hunting grounds for prize vessels, but due to them having to double back to Tenerife for warmth booze and their delays in Ireland making up for the early desertions, they had arrived at a slow time of the year for merchant voyages. Nobody was trying to cross the Pacific. So Dampier, an excellent navigator, despite his poor planning skills, managed to get the two vessels to the little-known island group of Mas Tierra, 420 miles off of Chile, which are also now known as the Juan Fernandez Islands. After dropping anchor on the islands on the 1st of February, 1709, they spotted a fire. However, the islands were supposed to be uninhabited, so a party was sent ashore, and that is where they found Alexander Selkirk. Alexander Selkirk was a Scottish sailor born in 1676 who became a part of the 1703 buccaneering expedition into the South Pacific during the early part of the War of Spanish Succession under the command of none other than William Dampier as the sailing master of the smaller of the two ships used in the expedition, named the Sank Ports. So after fighting through horrible weather around Cape Horn, as usual, and hard fighting against a well-armed French ship, Scurvy broke out on board the Sank Ports and killed several men, including the captain, who was replaced by a shitty 21-year-old lieutenant named Thomas Stradling. The Sank Ports put into a bay near the Juan Fernandez Islands for supplies and fresh water, which at the time, of course, were uninhabited, but was a known stop for ships from time to time. It was then that Selkirk voiced his grave concern to Stradling about the seaworthiness of their vessel and wanted to make repairs before continuing onwards. Stradling was a little too prize-hungry. They got into a fight, and he declared that he would rather stay on the island rather than continue on the dangerous leaky ship. And Stradling decided to make that happen, giving him a few supplies and refusing to let him back aboard, marooning him on the island before sailing off. Now, of course, Selkirk was right. And the sank ports soon foundered off the coast of Colombia, and although straddling and most of the crew survived the sinking, they were captured by the Spanish and endured terrible imprisonment in Lima, Peru, with only a few of the men ever able to make it back to England.
0: Yeah, Spanish prisoners did not fare well. Uh, the Spanish were notorious for uh, torture. Yes. And if, if it wasn't even the torture, um, you were usually sent to the mines, Mm -hmm. And it was, I mean, being a British prisoner was not good, but the Spanish were, they were notoriously difficult.
1: You also have terrible food. You are living 20 men in a 20 by 12 foot cell. Mm -hmm. Everybody's getting sick. Everybody's getting dying. It's, you know, there's, there's not even a bucket in the shit corner. It's... I mean like it's not a place that is conducive to human survival.
0: It was one of the reasons why whenever shit got real and Selkirk realized that he was getting he was getting left behind, uh, he panicked and he yeah. was crying and pleading for his life and everybody watched, but I mean his captain that's good for you. Yeah. It, like all this crying and panicking and all that, but the the one thing was it wasn't even necessarily that he was going to, to starve to death, dive in the elements. He talked openly, and he kept a bit of a journal uh, about how nervous he was about yeah. the Spanish. Like, he protected his fires at night, so nobody would mm-hmm. ever see them. Uh, he was afraid
1: they were going to hang him as a pirate. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, he was more afraid of the Spanish than anything else.
1: Yeah, and of course, Straddling, being 21 years old and on a power trip, just goes, Nope, uh-uh, my decision is final, fuck you, hoist the sails, and off they go. So, left with only a musket, some powder and shot, a knife, a hatchet, a cooking pot, a Bible, and a few pieces of clothing and bedding, Selkirk first spent time near the beach, living on lobsters and whelps and waiting for rescue, but was soon driven inland due to the fact that the local sea lion population were in the middle of mating season and were acting quite aggressively towards old Alex. Now, once inland...
0: They were, um, what the hell were they? They were fur seals. Right? Well, Is that what seals, they were? I thought they were fur seals.
1: Fur seals and sea lions.
0: Okay, because yeah. I know that's the one that they talked about, because they said in the book there were so many that you had to kill them to so you get your feet on the beach.
3: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I thought you were going to say sea lions. Hashtag me too. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so
1: once in land, he began hunting the wild goats for meat and milking them, gathering and eventually planting wild turnips and cabbages and gathering fruit. Once he got inland, he had a much better life, and there were much more abundant resources. This honestly sounds delightful.
0: They did maroon him on, like, the best island in the whole yeah, wide this world. This sounds yeah. incredible. Yeah, right. I think he goes, like, full Swiss Family Robinson. Yeah. It's like he's just short of, like, monkey butlers.
3: Yeah.
1: Well, <laughs> speaking of animal butlers. No, we're but, getting uh, there. He was So he would be attacked by rats at night. They would gnaw on his feet, but he eventually managed to domesticate the local feral cats to put an end to that problem. Yes. Yeah, when we say forming a cat army.
0: He, he formed his own cat he, army.
1: I would never leave. He, Yeah. And he managed to domesticate quite a lot of the goats, too. So he was a goat herd. He was a gardener. Wow. Um, he he became more resourceful as time went on. He forged a new knife out of the hoops of empty barrels left on the island. He built two huts out of pepper trees, one for sleeping and the other for cooking. Uh, Once his gunpowder dwindled, he made a homemade spear and began having to chase the local goat population on foot. On one occasion, accidentally chasing a goat over a cliff, which he then tumbled off of, leaving him injured and unable to move for a day, but he was saved from possibly having a broken pack because he landed on the goat he had been chasing, (laughs) which cushioned his fall. Uh, Selkirk made new clothing out of goat skins, using a nail as a sewing needle. And he eventually stopped wearing shoes as his calloused feet made the protection unnecessary. So he went full hobbit. <laughs> he kept himself sane by reading his Bible and memorizing the psalms, which he would sing in a daily ritual mm-hmm. to help maintain his speech and exercise his mind.
3: And this Someone, is the sto- and this mom. is the story of Kanye and Kim Kardashian, right?
2: <laughs> I'm just seeing Woods show up and this dude with like, even calloused over feet, covered in goat skins, quoting Bible passages. Bearded. They found Bathomath. Bearded.
0: They found Bathomath. <laughs> With
3: <laughs> an army of, of cats. cats. With an army of cats. Uh, leading a cat <laughs> army. It is goose-stepping
0: t- behind them in person. rank.
1: So, during his time on the island, two ships did show up, but they were both Spanish. And Selker decided as a Scotsman and a privateer that it would be better that they didn't find him. And the
2: cats killed every single sailor.
1: Now, on one occasion, he was spotted and chased by a group of Spanish sailors who came so close that at one point, all of them gathered to take a piss around the tree that he was hiding in. (laughs) This is like some Bugs Bunny shit. I love it. (laughs) So after the Duke arrived in the Juan Fernandez Islands on the beginning of February 1709, Selkirk finally realized that this was an English vessel, and he had a way off the island and back to Britain. He lit a beacon and flagged down a shore party led by the Duke's surgeon, Thomas Dover. And after four years and four months in solitude on the island, he was finally rescued, almost incoherent with joy.
3: How many of the cats did he take? The cats were devoured.
0: By the, the, cats, the cats were left behind. The cats were left behind to start their own, yeah. their own society. Free from the, the bondage of, of human slavery.
2: Just imagine a bunch of cats riding sea lions around this island.
0: <laughs> The cats could never go back to England,
1: not after what they'd done. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Rogers soon put Selkirk to work, assisting the crew with provisioning, helping them to catch or kill several goats a day, and gathering fruit to help restore the health of the men who were suffering from scurvy. Now, Rogers was impressed with Selkirk's vigor and mental stability given his ordeal, and kept Riley referring to him as as the island's governor. Uh, He made Selkirk second mate of the Duke, and Selkirk would play a key role in the adventures to come during the rest of Roger's expedition. Now, Selkirk finally arrived back in Britain after more than eight years away, but his life once he returned actually sounds far worse than his life alone on the island. He claimed a share of the prize money from the uh, rest of the expedition, much of which he had helped to secure, totaling roughly 800 pounds, about 220 grand in today's cash but his claim was placed in a protracted legal dispute and he never saw a penny. In September of 1713, he was charged with assaulting a shipwright in Bristol and jailed for two years. Then after his release, he returned to Scotland where he met a young dairymaid who he then eloped with to London in 1717, although they never ended up marrying, although I couldn't find any source that's mentioned why. Uh, He then served aboard a series of merchant vessels, but on a visit to Plymouth in 1720, he married a widowed innkeeper, and left again as the master's mate on board the 50-gun HMS Weymouth which set sail for an extended anti-piracy cruise off the west coast of Africa. It was on board the Weymouth on the 13th of December 1721, however, that Alexander Selkirk died of yellow fever and was
3: buried at sea. That reminds me of a story. Mm -hmm. When I was in the Navy and you ever pissed off a chief petty officer, one of the things that they used to do is they used to threaten... We're going to maroon you out on Tierra del Fuego. That's going to be your your duty station for three years. You're going to spend three years out in the middle of the Indian Ocean on this little atoll they call Tierra del Fuego. Now, bear in mind, I was in the Navy in 1995. This was before the internet. Yes. (laughs) Anybody that listens to this podcast (laughs) should go to Google Earth. And C, Tierra del Fuego. It's a joint base station. At, Diego Garcia? Or, D, D, excuse me, Diego Garcia, not Tierra del Fuego. Tierra del Fuego. The, the, I wouldn't want to be born the there, either. Not right. It was in, in Diego Garcia. Hey, well, we're going to send you to Diego Garcia. and uh, Have fun uh, maintaining a whole bunch of ro-ro freighters. And, and then Google, Ger- Google Earth came out and... I realized it was white sand beaches, (laughs) water that you can see a hundred feet down, exotic locals, and there's nothing to do but maintain your vessel and drink the copious amounts of alcohol that gets shipped to Diego Garcia to make the sailors happy. Yeah.
2: It is the only piece of land at about
1: a thousand miles in every direction. Yeah, literally. It is a speck in the middle of the ocean.
3: And all it is is white sand, hot women, and alcohol. But they were going to send us there and scare us. (laughs) Oh no, Chief. Anything but that. Yeah. Don't send me to the middle of the I.O. on a... On, on a little atoll like that, I would. Don't throw
0: me into that briar patch, brer rabbit. I'm just worried about all your all your navy stories. I'm just afraid at some point you're going to talk about how you wanted to get marooned on Fire Island.
3: Well, I tried it in the navy. In the navy.
1: <laughs> so, Selkirk left behind a hell of a legacy, though. His story was publicized in the memoirs of several members of Rogers' expedition, Rogers especially, and newspaper articles began appearing about his saga. Now, over the next several years, he helped pad his income by selling interviews to newspapermen and pamphleteers, but it was in 1719 when writer Daniel Defoe published the castaway novel The Life and Surprising Adventures of Robinson Crusoe that his legend was truly planted, as many details of the story reflect the real events of Selkirk's ordeal, and it is pretty clear that he was the inspiration for the whole damn thing.
0: Yeah.
2: <clears throat> Governor of oh, Cat is pretty, Island. Yeah,
0: especially <laughs> whenever they, whenever Robin Crusoe trains a bunch of cats to eat everyone. <laughs> I think well, it's in there.
1: Forward, my furry little <laughs> army. Now, after spending two weeks in the Juan Fernandez Islands, Roger's two ships headed back to the South American coast, where they captured and looted a number of small Spanish vessels of modest value, and then launched an attack on the town of uh, Guayaquil, modern-day Ecuador. Uh, Rogers attempted to negotiate with the governor for a ransom to go away again, but in this time the townsfolk managed to hide their valuables and when a modest ransom was agreed upon most of Roger's men got pissed off and attempted to loot the town but found very little of value. These men were so dissatisfied that they went so far as to dig up the recently dead in the town's cemetery hoping to find items of value and none other than Alexander Selkirk led a boat crew up the Guayas River to a plantation where a number of wealthy ladies had fled and looted the gold and jewels they had hidden inside their clothing, which became the subject of much scandal and consternation in the courtly world of international diplomacy. Now, digging up the corpses led to an outbreak of disease on both uh, both of the ships, which killed another six men, and two of the Spanish prize vessels lost contact with Rogers, never to rejoin the expedition. Uh, One had an unknown fate... But the other was captured by the Spanish, and the crew was ransomed back to another English ship. The commander of this vessel was named Simon Hatley, and he's worth mentioning, because Selkirk isn't the only one in this episode who inspired a work of literature. Hatley would return about a decade later to the Pacific on another privateering expedition, and when rounding Cape Horn in weather so bad that the superstitious Hatley shot an albatross that had been shadowing his vessel, pretending ill luck, in order to bring about fairer winds... There was, at the time, no taboo against shooting albatrosses, but later in the 18th century, poet Samuel Taylor Coleridge would immortalize this episode in his 625-line epic poem, The Rime of the Ancient Mariner.
3: And the greatest Iron Maiden song ever!
1: (laughs) in 84, yeah! Now, Rogers and his vessel spent the next several months bopping around the Pacific trying to find rich vessels and only ending up with modest prizes. As time went on, the crews of both vessels, who had been promised rich, easy pickings, were becoming increasingly discontented, and Rogers feared another mutiny. However, the tension was dispelled on the 22nd of December, 1709, when the ship spotted a potential prize off of Cabo San Lucas, and it was exactly what the Englishmen had been hoping for, a Manila galleon. These large, often well-armed and heavily crewed ships were built to carry large cargoes of spices, silver, and valuable goods from Asia like silk, ivory, and porcelain between Spanish holdings in the Philippines and Mexico. The smaller of the two galleons, the Nuestra Señora de la Encarnación y Desengaño, or Our Lady of the Incarnation and Disappointment, (laughs) had about 190 men aboard and was supposed to carry 45 guns, but all of her heavy guns were in the hold, so she only mounted about 20 lighter pieces. Why
2: would they have done that?
1: So, there ends up being two ships, and we're going to talk about the second one in a minute. And the idea was that the second one was going to be heavily armed, they were supposed to travel together, but when you're making this big voyage from Manila to Acapulco, you can get separated, but you also agree that there's going to, should you get separated, there's going to be a point where you meet. And so, they were supposed to be traveling together, but the Desangano got uh, got to the area first, ends up off Cabo San Lucas, and if you're dealing with a 4,000-pound cannon barrel, there's really not all that much you can do to get it out of the hole yeah. without real like port facilities, a real system of pulleys, and that's hard as hell to rig up at sea. <laughs> so the idea was, it's the Pacific. The English are all in the Atlantic, and they're supposed to be sailing along with this 60-gun ship as well. They end up getting separated, and they end up with the worst luck in the world. Now, after a pursuit that involved the use of sweeps, or long oars, to power the two English vessels when the wind failed them, they pulled up close to the Desenganyo and unloaded a series of quick broadsides, followed by a flurry of small-arms fire being exchanged. The first and only serious casualty on board the Duke was Woods Rogers himself, struck in the jaw by a musket ball that lodged against the bone and rendered him unable to speak, forcing him to spend the rest of the battle scribbling down orders. Caught between two ships, with his light guns unable to decline far enough to do any real damage to the English, because they were all on the top deck, the captain of the Desengano struck his colors. There was little time to try and discover what the Desenganyo had in her hold, however, as her consort vessel, a huge 900-ton, 60-gun galleon named the uh, Nuestra Señora de Begonia, carrying over 450 men, was to meet her off of Cabo San Lucas in a couple days' time. Now, the larger galleon arrived three days later on Christmas Day, and the Duke and the Duchess, joined by a third vessel, a Spanish prize, which had been renamed the Marquis, all attacked the giant galleon, but after several attempts found themselves unable to penetrate her thick hull (laughs) with their guns, (laughs) and the sides were too high for small arms fire to have a telling effect against the crew, and they were all taking mounting casualties.
3: It was a 900-ton vessel. It was an enormous ship. That, it, it, it's, what the average at the time was about 600 yes for a galleon yeah for a galleon this
1: is big for a galleon which
3: yeah, this big. is big yeah
1: now I remind you the combined tonnage of the two ships that they outfitted was 650 tons they probably had about 300 men at this point they're outnumbered by 50% and this thing has more guns and more tonnage than both of those ships com- and all their prizes absolutely combined. yes yeah. mm-hmm. Uh, so total figures aren't given, but by the end of the day a quarter of the Duke's crew at least no figures for the Duchess or the Marquis were dead or wounded and barely a scratch had been made up against the Begania Now after night fell, the Begania sailed away leaving behind its companion in the hands of the English The vessels and their prize then began limping their way across the Pacific having released the Spanish prisoners and taking with them the Desengagnos cargo which was valued at over 200,000 pounds or about 22 million dollars in today's money Voyage made. That's a good haul. Yeah. Now all they had to do was get back to England in one piece before disease, weather, or a vengeful enemy took them. Another problem that would have to be solved was the fact that the musket ball was still in Woods Rogers' face and every once in a while he would nearly choke to death on these slivers of jawbone and broken teeth oh, that would get worked fuck. loose by the movement of the bullet. I don't like when I'm congested. Ooh. Yeah... Now, their first stop was at the Spanish possession of Guam, where they expected trouble, but the governor of Guam was quite unsatisfied with his bosses and freely traded with the English privateers, but lacked any facilities to help get Rogers the surgery he would need to remove the bullet from his face. Then they moved on, and finally, in June of 1710, the ships made it to the port of Batavia, a Dutch possession that is now the city of Jakarta, the capital of Indonesia. There, the Dutch East India Company had a massive 800-bed naval hospital wow. where Rogers could That's... finally get the bullet removed, and it was taken out through the roof of his mouth after it had been there for six
3: months. Holy Lord. Yeah. I mean, you, you got to figure, there's got to be sanctuary for that. You pull up somewhere, and it's like, I've got a bullet in my face.
1: Well, and that's the thing, is the governor of Guam would have helped him, but I don't think anybody on Guam had the surgical tools to make it happen.
0: Turns out the VA sucked then, too.
1: (laughs) So they spent 18 weeks in Batavia, selling off their less seaworthy prize vessels, buying new supplies, and repairing their damaged ships. The commerce they would do with the Dutch East India Company, however, would come back to haunt them. But we'll get to that in the next episode. So after setting sail in October from Batavia and heading west... The ships encountered a large, heavily-armed French merchant vessel who they attacked and attempted to capture, but she managed to get off a few good broadsides at the English in which Woods', re- Woods younger brother, John, was killed by an eight-pounder cannonball to the heart.
0: Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, among other places.
1: Yeah.
3: I was going <laughs> to say, an eight-pounder cannonball, that's a little bigger than a heart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> A
0: little bit. If you get hit by an 8-pound cannonball, the last thing that goes through your mind is your asshole. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yes.
1: well, <the> <laughs> might, well, here's the thing. An 8-pounder <laughs> cannonball is not... An 8-pounder cannonball is about the size of a baseball. Yeah, it
0: the same. it's a little bigger than a baseball. But a little it's,
1: bigger than a baseball, but at 1,000 feet per second. Right. Yeah, it's not... <laughs> at probably pistol shot range. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you're transferring quite a bit of mass at that speed.
3: Yeah. yeah. All i got to say it's Big exit wound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Big exit wound. Uh, I, mean, he probably didn't I, didn't,
1: it. I didn't find any notes on how many guys behind him also <laughs> were killed or wounded. Yeah. Probably by John Rogers' spine.
3: Oh god. When yeah when when your bone becomes shrapnel, mm-hmm. that's that's a deal.
1: Yeah. So the Friendship sailed away, and the crew of the Duke took another dozen casualties for no gain. They stopped in Cape Town, which was then also a Dutch possession, and once again made necessary repairs, and then they set off on the final leg of their circumnavigation. And on the 14th of October, 1711, three vessels, the Marquis, the Duchess, and the Duke, finally dropped anchor in the River Thames more than three years after departing. Woods Rogers had done something few Englishmen had done before, circumnavigating the globe, and had done something even fewer Englishmen had done before, made it back, having taken a very valuable prize, and with all of his ships intact, putting him in a rank with national heroes like Francis Drake and Thomas Cavendish, His celebrity would be cemented by his actions, and having finished his first act, his second and third would bring more strife and adventure, putting him in the midst of some of history's most famous pirates into royal service, but that part of the story is all to come in part two of the tale of Woods Rogers.
0: For a guy that did some cool stuff, that book sucks. (laughs) It's unbelievably dry. It's it it's a man's journal. Yeah, he's a
1: bold adventurer, a fine navigator, but not a great writer.
0: Not a great writer, man. That's whenever they said, you know, we oh we should have sent a poet. They definitely mean it about this guy. Yeah, he met he met Robinson Crusoe in real life. He met a guy (laughs) that was like just running down goats with his his bare feet, training cats to kill. Written
1: by Daniel Defoe who may have taken the
3: nom de plume of Captain Charles Johnson. I saying, keep, going, you. keep going,
0: man. You got it. <laughs> Sound have... it out. <laughs> no, and no, no. we have
3: come full circle.
0: But the, the crazy thing is, um, Defoe never met Selkirk. He got everything from Rogers.
1: Yeah, got everything yeah. through Rogers. Yeah, everything through Rogers' books. And, 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 that's like, part of the, and the other we'll guys in the crew. Yeah, he
0: never yeah. met him. Yeah, It's fucking crazy because like, They were contemporaries. Like the dude was very much alive. Like, Mm -hmm. why would you just ask Bud Rogers about this guy? He was selling interviews like eight bucks. (laughs) Well, the guy was just doing cameos.
1: Well, because when Defoe was doing his interviews, and when he was in the process of writing the book, Selkirk was back at sea. He had to go make a living somehow, so he joined up on these merchant vessels
3: and was bopping around the Atlantic. And the funny thing is, there there is a controversy. Because of the writing technique mm-hmm. of Defoe and Johnson, mm-hmm. however, there's a there's a whole lot of similarity mm-hmm. about the information that Charles Johnson and Will, or yeah, William William Defoe. I knew I was going to do it. <laughs> you almost did it with Major Apple White. So
0: I almost did it with Major Apple White, and I definitely did it with Conor McGregor. Anyway. Gregor, McGregor. <laughs>
3: To be fair, as you said, kill a bird, i was thinking the lighthouse. (laughs) Anyway, between Defoe, Uh, between Defoe and Johnson, there might be speculation on the writing changes, but the information between Robinson Crusoe and, and the history of the pirates, it's... It's so similar, and the names yeah. are just interchangeable. Mm-hmm. I yeah. have to, i got to believe it. Well, there's also a school of thought that
1: Alexander Selkirk was the inspiration for the character of Lemuel Gulliver in Gulliver's Travels, Jonathan Swift. Yeah. Which and, we think,
0: well, that was a, an amalgam. They said mm-hmm. it was also Rogers.
1: Yeah, because mm-hmm. um, Gulliver's Travels came out, what, a couple years after Robinson Crusoe, 1721, something like that? I can't remember off the top of my head. I'd have to look it up. But I thought it was 21 sh- or 23. Thereabouts. They're, they're
0: so you don't fucking know if it's 21 or 23. You
3: just pulled that out of your ass. Nobody knows yeah, when, yeah.
0: when Caller's Travels came out, you fucking phony. <laughs> I, I
3: don't point out my failures. I don't point out your failures to me. <laughs> oh, yeah, quite. If I do believe, it was a,
0: the, the autumn of, of
4: 1723. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is
1: somebody Googling this? Yeah, I was going to say. Talk amongst yourselves. You're good. You're good. You're good. I'm looking you're good. You're good. it up right now. We are going to settle this before the end of the episode. <laughs> uh, my connection's fucked. Somebody else try
0: I'm on it. I'm on it. Being oh, a pure yeah. internet, Chris well, Mike probably knows. Well. <laughs> that was fucking hilarious. it is
3: 1723. Oh, apparently I, the film came were, out in 2010. Uh, I, I, if it's <laughs> 1723, that's going to be so I'm, goddamn I'm gonna funny. Pee, <laughs> I'm going to pee right in your face. That's... That this turn,
0: seventeen twenty six, man. Okay,
2: hey, I do support. Way to fuck up. Seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> Go so back to is Fire Island. Oh, that tape is out there. somewhere. I was close. <laughs> I it, uh,
0: I I thought for a minute you were talking about Faulkner's seventeen thirty five edition.
1: Really? <laughs> <laughs> Look, we were both in the right decade. I mean, we're we're wrong, but we're God, not that wrong, and I think that's a good standard to hold. I was less wrong. You were
0: slightly less wrong no, than I was. When, was uh, when did Crusoe publish?
1: Mike, put your penis away. <laughs> <laughs>
0: when did he publish Robinson
1: Crusoe? Uh, 1719?
0: It's listed in an article that I have. Uh, there's a, a really good article in Smithsonian Magazine. I, I recommend that everybody check that one out. It's called The Real Robinson Crusoe. It's mm. a pretty short read. It's a lot of fun. Uh, da, 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 it's da, not enough da, Uh, It it was officially renamed Robinson Crusoe Island in 1966. Oh, that's
1: right, it was! Yeah, Yeah. 1719. 1719. Oh yeah, I've only spent two weeks researching this shit, Kyle. I think something would stick. Right. (laughs) Don't look so shocked. (laughs) Somebody's gotta drive this fucking train wreck.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Just imagining that picture of the train on fire shooting through a building. Oh yeah, that's
1: a that's a pretty good uh, approximation for this podcast. It also
0: turns out that the uh, the teredo worm is an eighth of an inch long. They are two centimeters in length. So your ship is getting sunk relate. by a two centimeter. <laughs> 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 that's it. That's only if it's
4: <laughs>
0: that's only if it's warm. <laughs> uh, stay,
1: uh, stick around afterwards for a recording of our. Uh of our newest show on the network, Michael Arnett and the Problems of the White Man. <laughs> the Erotic
0: Adventures of Michael Urnette.
1: <laughs> a nine-part miniseries.
3: I'm getting into European art porn.
1: <laughs> Get out of my Netflix queue. I think it was exclusively
3: French, French
1: porn. I hope you like this. Oh.
2: Blue is the warmest color is a work of art. Yeah. I hope you...
0: I, I hope you like weird-looking Belgian dudes. Oh God, do I
1: ever! <laughs> and pubic
0: hair. Who
3: wants a mustache, right? I do. I do. <laughs> this is,
1: for, for our listeners, this is
2: what happens when the first forty-five minutes of the night is battling microphones.
0: Yeah, mm. God, I don't even yeah. want to talk about it. I'm still so don't, fucking don't, hungover. You, no, I'm looking at you guys drinking drink beer. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs>
1: Poof, I'm, look, I'm watching you guys drink, drink beer. The deck and deck and it's just no good. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so that's that's part one of the story of Woods Rogers. We will be back next week with part two. Well next next episode next episode part two. And uh, yeah, thank you everybody for listening.
0: Yeah, what are we drinking tonight, fellas? I'm drinking water because fuck that.
1: Because yeah. <laughs> well, you drank Pittsburgh dry yesterday. Oh man. Like um. A, so what we've been drinking, uh, we have to send out a big thanks to uh, Mike, the manager at uh, the Southern Tier. Uh, Southern Tier brewery down in um down on the north side down by pnc park we went there after pirate fest we took some photos with people he hooked us up with some of the new lakeshore fog from southern tier it's a wonderful hazy and juicy ipa I highly recommended yeah very good really really good highly recommend it chris um you'll like it in 72 hours we can yeah it's
0: probably gonna take a minute from back on a horse i'm yeah. drinking deer park water it's delicious <laughs>
1: But
0: uh, It's a 100% natural spring water okay. bottled with the
1: source. I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> pay it quote, forward. No, I'm going to quote Lewis Black here when yes. I say deer park, fuck deer park. I don't want deer pissing and shit in my water. Puddled <laughs> at the source of a deer's eureka. You oh.
0: can taste the deer.
1: Mm. Okay. Gaming. That's, mm, that's how you know it's good. Steaky. <laughs> so yeah, big ups to uh, Mike Down in Southern Tier for hooking us up with this. Thank you, buddy. Um, we'll be back down to see you again soon. Uh, anything... Yeah, sooner than later. On, that should really look pretty good. Yeah. Uh,
2: so, uh, I mentioned last episode, but if anyone, uh, is interested in getting involved with the, uh, the crush grape wine tasting that I'm hosting on March 5th, um, email addresses kylegraper at gmail.com or we'll, uh, blast all the social medias with the contact information for that. you gotta do is text it over hour, to me, buddy. Can do.
0: Cool. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a really cool, uh charitable event that they have going. I've already pledged my services to it. I'd like to see everybody come down, spend a nice evening, raise some money for a very noble cause. Mm-hmm. Uh, if what does that
2: wanna... benefit, Kyle? Uh, Sister's Place, which provides uh, services and um, housing for uh, single parents who are in need. Cool. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. Um,
0: yeah, if you want to find out more about that, you can follow us on social media. Uh, as soon as I get the information, we'll put it right over on there. You can find us online uh, at trrpod.com on twitter uh if you search thieves rogues and renegades you can find us on facebook you can find us on youtube uh we are at uh we're actually Pod on um <clears throat> instagram as well and if you have any concerns questions comments you'd like to shoot over to us please don't hesitate to send us an email uh, Pod at gmail.com
1: yep uh anything episode suggestions uh things you'd like to hear us talk about any uh, photos
0: you might have like any any like Pictures that you may have drawn now that you're inspired by Michael Arnett and erotic life.
3: Hey, I'm still I'm still I'm still taking emails for the Bob Crane sex called Chris. Did you you buy that? Did you get that? Did you buy the Uh, domain? What's the domain cost? Well, it's it's somewhere close to forty. How long do you get it for? Because that might be worth it. But yeah, if it's like forty a year, thinking. then it's
0: not—it's not forty a year funny. But if it's forty for like ten years, it's four dollars a year funny. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> that's
0: uh-huh. fucking funny. Yeah, yeah,
3: we we are working on the domain name so that if if you guys want to uh, give some asshole's going to
0: go and scoop it out from under us, like try to ransom it. Yeah, you
3: have to talk <laughs> it up. Anyway. You, you know what? We'll we'll get an army of cats.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
3: my head hurts All so right. goddamn bad well, guys, <laughs> it's so Be- fucking bright in here
1: speaking of Chris's head hurting um, let's the three of us raise our beers and say ha- very very happy birthday Chris Miller Thanks, I know you're guys. not taking part in the toast because you will vomit nope But um, no can
0: do uh, another fun fact about Selkirk is the day that Defoe showed up or uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry the, the day that the ship arrived uh, was February 2nd 17, yep. 1709 oh damn so Lots of great things happened on February second. Three
1: hundred and eleven years ago yesterday. Yep. Pretty cool. Ain't that uh, you know that's that serendipitous.
0: It was it was Selkirk Day yeah. uh, before it was Groundhog Day. I don't know if you knew that. Mm. It was not mm. that I just made that up. Mm. <laughs> that's that's, that's a total fabrication. They they would drag Selkirk confused and screaming out of his home. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: oh, oh, he three Sh- cats and three goats. He sees his shadow
3: six more weeks without a ship <laughs> showing up. <laughs> And if the, he fell the, on a goat, he got a broken back and yellow beard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that I did, I did uh, take go, away go from go Selkirk is that he was apparently like super into hummingbirds after, the, like after he was rescued. Like he just had this affinity for hummingbirds. I don't know if they were on the island... Or what, but the guy just fucking loved, he fucking loved hummingbirds and he never did before I in his really, life. I really <laughs> hope
1: there were hummingbirds on the island because if there weren't and he'd like never seen a hummingbird before, that's a weird pathology that's it's It's
0: pretty far it from Chile. Like, what would it be doing there? It would, it would basically live its entire life there. It's way too much room for it to, like, for it to get back to the mainland. Exactly like from the coast of Chile. Yeah. Right? Nice. Nice. So, Four hundred twenty-sixty-nine kilometers.
1: Yeah. So. yeah. 420.69 miles. Nice. Speaking of nice, if you want to be nice to us, uh, if you like what we do, uh, you think we are deserving of maybe a little bit of your harder ducats, you can get uh, early access to websites, special shout out on the podcast, access to some upcoming exclusive content, Uh, you can go to www.patreon.com slash trrpod for as little as a dollar a month. You can give us a little bit of financial support to help bring you bigger, better content Every cent we make through Patreon get, gets put right back into the podcast. It does not go into our pockets. It goes towards research materials, recording materials, everything like that.
0: Hosting, distributing, getting it out to you. All of that. But eventually, our plan is to put that directly into our pockets and just live live high on the hog. Mm. Don't worry, we'll we'll spend it on dumb shit.
3: Goats mostly. <laughs> and at Dude twenty, worms for our cat uh, army. Yes. <laughs> Well, uh, this next quarter special is for $25 a month. Mm -hmm. Just like the movie Cabin Boy, I will dance in front of you like a harem girl. (laughs) And for twice that, he won't.
0: Excuse me. Come on, man. It's my
3: birthday.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, I'm going to go try to unsee that image. Um, Although, I... I... (laughs) Oh, uh, the sheer bikini top is a bit much, Mike. I love it.
0: I love every second so, of what's happening
1: right now. So, Mike, stop dancing like a harem girl. Mike Larnett. No, just don't do it. Why did you braid your chest hair? <sighs> well, because he yeah. has it to braid, Kyle. Fair.
3: Because <laughs> I like <love> Snoop. <laughs> <laughs> That's cultural appropriation, man.
1: All right, so Michael Larnett, who needs to stop dancing like a harem girl... Kyle Graper needs to put on the Stormtrooper hat and get back to the basement. Chris Miller, who needs to have some water and some Advil. Uh,
0: uh, Congratulations to all of our Iowa listeners and and their their caucus today. It's like voting, but with more people shouting at you and telling you to stand in different corners.
1: Congratulations to the state of Iowa and your enormous caucus. (laughs) That was a very cheap joke. And I, Rob North, need to stop telling them. So from uh, myself, Chris Miller... Mike Larnett, Kyle Graber. Thank you for listening, Oh, shit, everybody. we
0: forgot about Jack. It's Golden Retriever Day. And it
1: is Golden Retriever Day. Happy Golden Retriever Happy Golden Day, Golden Day, buddy. Retriever Day. Where the hell did he go? Our canine outreach <laughs> dog, he just left. Oh, he's sleeping on the floor. Okay. A dog who smells wet even when he's dry. So, yeah, thanks everybody for listening. We'll catch you next time for Woods Rogers Part 2. Until then, um, if you feel the need to touch the Heron Dancer, if you're going to grab him, hold fast, for God's sake.
0: Stay hydrated. <laughs>